Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and today we're going to be talking about UFC 295, Yuri Prohaska versus Alex Pereira for the now vacant UFC light heavyweight championship of the world, and also Tom Aspinall versus Sergey Pavlovich for the interim heavyweight championship of the world or between you and me let's just call it what it is the vacant heavyweight championship of the world and my friends it's going down this saturday night live at madison square garden msg the mecca in new york city new york this main and co-main event has to be one of the best combos that we've ever had like just when you talk about guaranteed violence, these are the kind of fights the fans want to see. I know yesterday I made a comment about how uh, I was glad they passed up Corey Sanhagen for the title shot, and everyone's you know all you know, oh he's a goddamn bootlicker and this and that. It's like, nah, listen to me right now. When you stink up a room the way he did against Rob Font, the same way Jailton did against Derek Lewis, do you get a title shot? No. When you fight the way Yuri Prohaska and Alex Pereira fight or the way Sergey Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall fight, that's how you get a title fight. So don't even try me on any bullshit because this weekend, main and co-main is guaranteed violence, my friends. And before we start the show, I just want to say something. Today is episode 500 of half the battle 500 i don't even know how we made it this far but i just want to say thank you to the people that were down with me since day one to the people that you know discovered the show along the way and of course the people that have come along more recently i'm so grateful and it's crazy i'm at episode 500 so who knows what the future holds but let's just try to keep rising you know obviously I have certain feelings about certain things, you know, 500 episodes. Why the fuck am I not at a million views yet? But at the same time, I do take solace in the fact that I have a grassroots following. I know that the few thousand of you that are in with me every single week, you guys are loyal. You guys have shown me love and we created something out of nothing. So thank you all very much for sticking with me. And yeah, I mean, let, let's let's try to grow this thing. So without further ado, let's get right down to business because in the main event, we got the former UFC light heavyweight champion. And I must note, he never lost his belt in a fight. There's conspiracy theories going around about what really happened. But what we've been told is he had one of the most serious shoulder injuries in the history of the sport, I'm referring to none other than the violent man himself, Yuri Prohaska. He's 29 and three, taking on the former middleweight champ, the former two division glory champ, and one of the most devastating knockout artists. I mean, it's funny because this guy's only had 10 MMA fights and he's already establishing himself as a legend. I'm talking about Alex Pereira. Who's eight and two? Because I mean, think about this, man. Alex Pereira's only had 10 pro fights in MMA. I understand he's got a very extensive kickboxing background. And that's to put it lightly, he's a double champ in, in glory, you know, amongst the other titles he's won in other promotions. But 
to only be 10 fights deep in your M- in your MMA career. You've already won a belt in the UFC. You defeated Izzy Adesanya. I'm not even talking about the kickboxing matches. I'm talking about in the UFC, you took the belt off him. You beat the current middleweight champion, Sean Strickland, via first-round knockout. And this last win against Jan Blahovich, we'll talk about the fight itself, but regardless of how you viewed it, he got another win over a former UFC champ under his belt. So to accomplish what he has in less than 10 pro fights in MMA, God damn. And if he wins this Saturday night, I mean, this could be one of the greatest combat athletes of all time. So yeah, this fight's incredible. Currently they got it. So it's a pick them with a slight lean on Pereira. They got it. Alex Pereira minus 115, Yuri Prohaska minus 105. That's on bet online. Some spots still got dog money on Yuri Prohaska. And when I tell you about what kind of finishers these guys are, so Yuri Prohaska, check this out, man. He's got 29 wins in MMA, right? 25 of those wins are by knockout. Three of those wins are by submission. And that's including against a real black belt in Glover Teixeira, who one does not simply submit. And you'd think, you know, a guy like Glover, with all the pride he has, hey, I'm just going to go right to sleep. He tapped. So, man, big credit to Yuri. In all these fights that Yuri's had, which, sorry, my, my stuff's freezing up. Okay, here we go. In all the fights Yuri's had, which is 33 professional MMA fights, the man has only been the distance one time. He won that decision. But to only go the distance one time in 33 MMA fights, that's the kind of stuff we want to see. So all y'all coming at me saying, you know, that, you know, I I, I didn't, I don't want to watch fights like Corey Sanhagen versus Rob Font. I don't want to watch fights like Jailton Almeida versus Derek Lewis. I want to watch Yuri Prohaska fight. So y'all can call me. He's a goddamn bootlicker. Like, don't, don't even, don't, don't even try me on that bullshit. Cause you know, damn well, what I'm saying is the truth. Yuri Prohaska consistently puts on the kind of fights the fans want to see. And he's got a willing dance partner, Alex Pereira. Like when people, so when I was talking about this Corey Sanhagen thing and people were like, well, how could Cheeto get the shot? If, if you know Sanhagen beat Cheeto, well, firstly, Cheeto's coming off a win over Pedro Munoz, where they both each landed over 100 significant strikes. But I didn't, I didn't make the rules. But the rules say, "Thou shall not hump of another grown man's leg and make the crowd boo and expect the title shot." I didn't make the rules, but those are what the rules are. And I will tell you right here, right now, on half the battle, Alex Pereira is not going to hump anyone's leg. Alex Pereira. Injury, no injury. He's going to come out here and fight like he always fights, which is starts off trying to chop you down with these disgusting calf kicks. And he's got a very unique setup to his calf kick. He fires that jab to the body. And when it's time to go upstairs with that left hook, boy, that left hook (laughs) might be one of the best we've ever seen. We're talking about, you know, right up there with the Paul Daly left hook. We're talking about literally... The kind of one hitter quitter where you bring you bring your baseball glove to the baseball game to catch a foul ball. Well, you bring your baseball glove to an Alex Pereira fight, you might catch his opponent's head. But on the other side of things, like I told y'all, 
year. He's got 25 knockouts in MMA, three submissions, only been the distance once in 33 pro fights. I mean, this is violence guaranteed, and don't even try me on, oh, you're going to jinx it because you're talking like that. Which one of these two warriors, these samurais, these gladiators is going to, you know, pull guard? Which one of these guys is going to hump legs? These guys are going to stand and bang until one man falls and someone's going to walk out the champ. Do I have personal opinions about them being placeholders for the one true king? Maybe, but that's irrelevant right now. What matters is how do these two match up? Well, I'd say Alex Pereira. I want to say, you know, he's the more technically sound guy, but that's such a black and white way of looking at it. And not only that, he's not the most orthodox guy either for being more technically sound than Yuri. I mean, Alex does fight with his hands down and for good reason. I mean, he's very reliant on his head movement, his footwork and his counters. That's how he's able to get away with it. It's just that. When you fight with your hands down and, you know, Alex has been put to sleep more than once. I'm not just talking about the Adesanya fight. I'm talking about back in kickboxing too. That approach has its pros and it has its cons. But on the flip side of things, Yuri, not as technically sound per se in terms of like a textbook, a textbook way of looking at it compared to Yuri, but he's got his own funky unorthodox style of fighting and we can talk about his one hitter quitter but i want to talk about the mind games that alex uh, that yuri prohaska plays when he's in there and it's a very subtle thing you got to pull up these fights and pay close attention don't listen to what the commentators are saying not because the commentators aren't great they are they know what they're seeing but there's a mental dynamic in these Yuri fights, the way he was walking down Volcan. And I don't know if y'all noticed the little taunts. He's kind of talking to guys in there. He's kind of getting them off their game. You'll throw a jab at him and he'll block it with his forehead just to kind of make you feel like, what's, what's up with this guy? Like, I've never seen anything like this in the gym. And then you hear the stories about how this dude <laughs> locked himself in a dark room for three straight days just to get his head right. And you know, we praise that fight he had against Glover Teixeira as like fight of the year for the year it happened in 2022. And you hear Yuri talk about it. And he was like, I was undisciplined. That was my worst performance. I need to do better. It's like, I love it. I love it. But um, I feel like, I don't know if y'all ever played Red Dead Redemption before, but Dutch, he's like the main antagonist. And, and he's got like a famous quote. He's like, we can't escape our nature. And I think even though Yuri, he's a very cerebral guy, especially outside the octagon, when you hear him talk, he's very thoughtful. When he gets in there, the wild man comes out. He cannot escape his nature. So this is one of those fights where I can truly sit here and make a case for either guy. For, for, for Alex, I can talk about how, well, look how hittable Yuri is. Yuri's been knocked out before. Alex is. I guess on paper, more technically sound, even though he's unorthodox in his own right, he can time that big left hook. He can start to chop him down with calf kicks and get his game going. But Yuri's game, firstly, I want to say this. I bet on Alex, his last fight against Jan Blahovic. And I'll tell y'all right now, y'all, y'all already know, I'm on a fade Jan Blahovic tour right now. I truly believe 
that after that fight, Jan Blahovich had against Glover Teixeira, that Jan Blahovich is on his way out, man. And I've been fading him every single fight since. The Rockage fight, man, it, it was looking good until that injury. And guess what? They're running it back. And guess what? I'm going to bet Rockage again. I bet on Anka Live. I max bet Anka Live in that title fight. Anka Live shits the bed, but we're lucky to come away with a draw. I mean, you saw how and people want to have the audacity to tell me Anka Live is the best 205er on the planet. Listen to me right now. I've seen 25 minutes. I've seen close to 30 minutes of Anka Live's last uh, few fights. Actually, fuck that. Let's talk. Let's talk over an hour of time because what about those 25 minutes he spent with Tiago Santos, where Anka Live got dropped? Those 25 minutes he spent with Jan Blahovich, where Anka Live, both his legs got chopped down from under him. And then the Johnny Walker fight, you'd think a guy like Ankalaev, who everyone's calling uncrowned champ this, he's throwing illegal knees against an opponent that you're like a minus 300 favorite over, and you want to tell me Ankalaev's the best 205-er on the planet? Like, like, stop. When Hill had his title fight, he sets the record for most significant strikes landed in 205 history. That's a division. I, I'm not sure if you realize this. That's a division that John Jones ruled for over 10 years. That's a division that had Chuck Liddell, Rampage Jackson, Leoto, Shogun, Forrest Griffin, all, Rashad Evans, all these legends. And Jamal goes out there and sets the record. And y'all want to tell me that Ankaliyev is the uncrowned champ? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, stop. But now, that's neither here nor there. What matters right now is Yuri versus Poatan. And someone is hitting the deck in this fight. And that's the bottom line. So, listen, I can put on one side of the mask and, and give you the confident pick for for. Uh, Alex, I can put the other side of the mask on and give you the confident pick for Yuri. One of these guys is hitting the deck. That's just the bottom line. It's about who's going to be, who's going to zig when they should have zag. Who's going to, you know what I'm saying? So this is literally that fight. No idea. But what I do know is in these situations, if I'm the odds maker, I'm making you pay chalk on both sides. So if you can get dog money on either side, I think that's the way to go. I'm not guaranteeing a win because the person that loses this fight is hitting the deck. They're going to have to bring in a pillow. They're going to have to bring in the smelling salts. They're going to have to put the flashlight in their eye. You understand what I'm saying right now. So it's one of those things where before the fact, it's a pick them in terms of I'm the book. I'm making you pay chalk on both sides. But after the fact, Someone is going to look like a big favorite here. It's just which uh, iteration of this fight is going to take place. I have no clue. I'm going to go with Yuri Prohaska. Back to the Jan Blahovich talk because I brought him up for a good reason. The reason I brought him up, not just because I'm on a fade Jan tour, but I want to say this. When I bet on Alex at plus 125 against Jan, yes, I thought we won that fight clearly. But shit got sketchy, man. It was not the clean performance I expected. The power, I want to be careful in what I'm saying here. It didn't seem like the power translated as good at 205 as it does at 85. But don't get what I just said twisted. He can absolutely knock Yuri Prohaska into the fifth dimension. So just because, you know, Jan was durable does not, you know, one plus one does not always equal two in MMA. That's what you got to understand. 
on the flip side, just because Yuri Prohaska plays around in there, he's got his hands down. He he likes to play that mental warfare game. He'll 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 eat one to give one. That might mean he hits the deck, but that might also mean he lures Alex Pereira into his wild man kind of brawling style. I say brawling, but that sounds disrespectful because you don't get to the point where Yuri's at by just being a brawler. You don't become 29 and three in MMA and make it to a UFC belt and a second title shot by just being some brawler. So I want, I think the word I'm, I'm, I'm really looking for is the uniqueness of his style. We've never seen anyone like him before. So I can just go on about how either guy can knock either guy out and, and, no outcome will surprise me in terms of who's hitting the deck. But like I said, back to the fundamental gambling element of it, I think you got to charge chalk on both sides, man. And you're giving me dog odds on Yuri. I think I'm going to go with Yuri here. Um, I'm not delusional. I know he could hit the deck. I know Alex could hit the deck. And I know someone will hit the deck. And don't tell me I'm jinxing it. There's no way these guys are humping each other. There's no fucking way these guys are gonna be at MSG and the crowd. They're gonna they're gonna be so bored by the fight that they all like put the flashlights out on their phones. They're doing the wave. They're going woo and woo. There's no fucking way that's happening in this fight. If it does, then we're just ending the show at 500 episodes. But if we want to get to the 501st episode, then I better see a war. And if I don't see a war, I better see an epic knockout. And I think that's what we're going to get, my friends. So I'm going to get Yuri. I'm going to go Yuri Prohaska to uh, become the new, once again, light heavyweight champion. And uh, he's going to hold uh, he's going to hold uh, that, that you know, that belt warm for the one true king when he comes back. So I cannot wait and much respect to Yuri and Alex. Love them both. Not a bad word to say about either. Flip a coin. Who you think is going to knock out who? I love it. Love it. I'm going to go Yuri to become the new light heavyweight champion once again. Co-main event of the evening in the heavyweight division for the interim heavyweight championship. But between you and me, I think it's the undisputed championship because it's no disrespect to, to the GOAT John Jones at all. I would never disrespect him. It's more so that these two, Aspinall and Pavlovich, represent that new wave of emerging heavyweights like i talked about this often how even at light heavyweight right john jones just physically outmatched everyone that it just wasn't even fair it's like he had that those cheat code arms he had like a 10 inch reach advantage and a 10 inch and a 10 year youth advantage over every single person he fought until he fought gustafson the first time and then the guy started getting a little bit bigger then you know he had you know, that war with Dominic Reyes and Dominic Reyes was never the same ever again. But at the time, Dominic Reyes was the man. And now you see these light heavyweights coming up like the Yuri Prohaskas, like the Alex Pereiras, like the Jamal Hills. Um, and all these guys are already like former champions, which is the crazy part, right? The Alexander Rockets, right? Where the guys can match Jones on the physicality and the athleticism, which wasn't the case before. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because a similar thing is happening at heavyweight, man. I mean, I know y'all remember the days when, like, the legends like Noguera, Frank Mir, those guys were, like, the champions at the time. But, you know, a lot of people were calling heavyweight one of the more boring divisions and this and that. But, like, now, Sergey Pavlovich, Tom Aspinall, 
Francis Ngannou. I know Francis isn't in the UFC anymore, but he was one of the first guys that represented kind of like, so like a few years ago, Brock Lesnar was considered like the freak athlete in the heavyweight division. But the thing was, Brock Lesnar was scared to get hit. Brock Lesnar was one dimensional, whereas these guys like, like Francis, I know at first Francis was one dimensional, but now Francis can go out there and drop a guy like Tyson Fury in pure boxing, but he can also come to MMA and suplex D1 wrestlers like Steve Miocic, like he did in their second fight. So what I'm saying is these new heavyweights are real athletes. This game is evolving. These guys are well-rounded. These guys are exciting. So I love it. So <sighs> Sergey Pavlovich, he's 18 and one, taking on Tom Aspinall, who's 13 and three. But there's asterisks, in my opinion, on all three losses that he's had. Check it out. So I know if you bet on Aspinall on those three fights, you lost. But let's talk about those three losses. Like, has he truly been beaten in a fight? The Curtis Blades fight, a 15-second knee injury. Now, look, let me be very clear about what I'm saying. Escúchame y escúchame bien. Listen to me and listen to me well. What I'm trying to say to you right now regarding injuries and fights Okay, if you cause the injury, yes. If you, for example, check someone's leg kick and you break their foot or their shin, hey, you cause that injury, I think you should take full credit for it. But when a fight is 15 seconds long and a guy takes a weird back step and, and then he blows out his knee, like Curtis Blade should not be on a victory parade over some shit like that. Like, please, okay? Then his loss before that, he got he got uh, DQ'd with the with the Travis Brown elbows, illegal elbows. So, I mean, come on, dog. And then Stuart Austin heel hooked him. So I guess that's legit. He got heel hooked in his first real loss. My boy Ghost Gardner said Blades hit him with the one two and caused his injury on the back step. That's bullshit. Basically, what I heard was Aspinall's doctors told him exactly what Hill's doctors told him, which is that this injury was going to happen no matter what, whether it was in a fight, whether it's in a training session, whether it's on a pickup basketball game, like his, I don't remember if it was like his Achilles, his knee, something, the tendon, whatever, it was about to rupture no matter what. So he just had the luck of the draw that it happened when he took a back step against Curtis Blades. You know, it just sucks it happened in the fight, whereas Hill's injury, it happened, you know, when he was playing some basketball with some friends. But the doctor said on both cases, this injury was going to happen no matter what. And the way Aspinall rebounded from that injury, like I know people are going to be like, oh, how, how can you take much from a minute and 13 second knockout against Tybura? And I understand, you know, how, how can you take much from it? Well, I'll tell you what I took from it. Did you see the shape? Aspinall was in for that fight. Did you see the way he was moving in that fight? Like, dude, I already thought this guy had the goods. I mean, you watch that Volkov fight, and it's easy to just bring up, well, he hit a straight armbar on Volkov, which one doesn't simply do. I mean, when was the last time someone submitted Volkov, right? But it, to me, it was the timing of those takedowns. It was like reminding me of a heavyweight GSP. Like, just the timing. You think this guy's striking? Nope, level change. You think this guy's about to level change? Oh, now there's the one-two up top. He's got leg kicks. Aspinall is a super agile and athletic heavyweight. He's well-rounded. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Um, and, I mean, uh, allegedly, we're on the street is this guy 
is doing his boxing rounds with Tyson Fury. So he is a well-rounded, scary individual. Yes, this is short notice, but listen, man, tons of people rise to the occasion on short notice. Like how many times have you seen these feel-good stories? Bisbing, for example, and he was like a plus fucking 800 dog against Luke Rockhold at UFC 199 in Inglewood, California, live at the forum. I was there. Dude, I, I've seen this shit happen all the time. Like, you see these guys come in on, like, short notice, and you think, oh, well, they didn't have a full camp, this and that. Dude, he's had the last 10-plus years to get ready for this moment. And with Pavlovich, I mean, he's the Russian in Ganu. Uh, it's a little bit different, but he's got some very nice combos, but they come from very weird angles, and he's got an array of punches. It's not just the jab. It's not just the cross. It's not just the hook. It's not just the overhand. This guy can mix in uppercuts, too, and when he starts to let his hands go, I mean, as you guys are aware, bodies do hit the floor. Here's my issue, and I know I mean, I don't know for a fact because I haven't really listened to what too many people have to say, but I would put money down that people are writing off Sergey Pavlovich's only loss to Alistair Overeem because A, it was his UFC debut, B, it was in China, uh, D, Alistair, C, Dal Alistair Overeem's a vet and a legend and all this stuff. So let's just act like that never happened, right? And I'm just not one of these guys that is going to act like that didn't happen because... I'm going to act like the Curtis Blades and Tom Aspinall fight never happened because I legitimately consider that to be a fluke. Whereas when he got taken down by, by Overeem, like why does the, so him turning over and quitting and just saying no mas, like what does that have to do with UFC debut? What does that have to do with it being in China? What does that have to do with it, with that being uh, Alistair Overeem? What it has to do with is there is a weakness in Sergei Pavlovich's game, and only one man has been able to expose it. Just think about this. Since the Alistair Overeem fight, he fought Marcelo Golm. And, and when I say this, I do not want you to think that I am discrediting Pavlovich because he handled all these guys accordingly. But the point I'm trying to make is this. Was 6-2 and two Marcelo Golm a threat to take down uh, Sergey Pavlovich and have his way with him on the mat? No. Is cigarette-smoking Maurice Green a threat to take down Pavlovich and, and have his way with him on the mat? No. Is 42-year-old Shamil Abdurakimov a threat to take down Pavlovich and have his way with him on the ground? No. Is Derek the Black Beast Lewis the owner of the most knockouts in UFC history? Is he a threat to shoot a takedown on Pavlovich and have his way with him on the ground? No. Is is the banger Tai Tuivasa a threat to take down Sergey Pavlovich and have his way with him on the ground? No. Okay. So now let's talk about the one guy that is Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades might be the biggest idiot in the division, okay? And people were talking about how after they just saw that Jailton fight, how, oh, man, we missed all this value on Curtis Blades. Ruh, ruh, ruh. No, you fucking didn't. You know why? Because Curtis Blades is an idiot. Curtis Blades is the kind of guy that is going to try to stand and bang with Sergey Pavlovich and Francis Ngannou, and you know for a fact his path to victory against Jailton would have been, hey, let's use our wrestling in reverse, keep this fight standing, and light this man up on the feet. But you know, with Curtis 
peanut brain, he was probably going to try to take down Jailton and try to show that, hey, I'm a better grappler than this guy. Curtis Blades is a dummy. And Curtis Blades goes in there with Sergei Pavlovich. He tries to bang it out. And he doesn't shoot until he's already far gone rocked. So none of these guys have presented any challenge for Pavlovich on the mat except Overeem. And I'm telling you right here, right now, on half the battle, look, Aspinall can bang too. Make no mistake about it. But Aspinall's entries to his takedowns and his IQ and his intelligence, I mean, I could be wrong. I'm going to be wrong many more times, and this year has not been my year. But let me just tell you this right now. I think Tom Aspinall is going to time these takedowns nicely. I think he's going to get off on some strike standing. And as long as he's not badly compromised by the insane one-hitter quitter of the Russian Nganu Pavlovich, I think he can mix this up. I think he can grind him out. I think he can submit him. I think he can ground and pound TKO him. But do not discount the possibility of Aspinall having success on the feet as well. So... Bottom line here is I took Tom Aspinall at minus, I think, minus 115. And basically, I'm willing to bet on Tom Aspinall at pick em odds against any man on planet Earth, period. So whether I'm right or wrong about that, we'll find out Saturday. But at pick em odds against any grown man on planet Earth, uh, yeah, I got it. And Dirty Rex said discrediting Blades win over Aspinall is low. What win over Aspinall, bro? It's a 15-second fight where Aspinall took a wrong step and he blew his knee out. Like, what the hell did Blades do to cause that injury? Like, y'all got to stop with this stuff, bro. Blades should be happy that no matter what, he can go get knocked out his next 10 fights in a row, and he will always have a, a, a win over, over Tom Aspinall. You know, it's kind of like... Some of these bullshit DQ wins we've been seeing lately um, where it's just like, bro, you did not beat that guy. Like, did you see Javid Basharat going on, uh, going on? So, okay. So Javid Basharat and Victor Henry, they fight for one round. And it's, you know, it's a fairly competitive fight. You know, the fight's starting to heat up a little bit. No one's really hurt anybody. Like nothing crazy has really happened. And then he nut punts him in a way where, like, dude, like, uh, I mean, Victor Henry's had 30 pro fights, and the guy's never been finished once. And you mean to tell me he f- he flew all the way to Abu Dhabi just to quit? Bro, and then they say on the broadcast that his balls were the size of fucking watermelons. Like, like and, and then Javid has the the audacity to say that this guy quit? Like, so that that's the kind of bullshit I'm talking about. Like, I know that's different than the Blades situation, but I think calling Blades win over Aspinall legitimate is about as stupid as calling, you know, as saying that Victor Henry quit in that Javid fight. Like, like stop. If you legitimately cause the injury, like, for example, like Chris Weidman did to Anderson Silva, okay. You deserve that because checking is a legitimate technique. Checking leg kicks is legit. You cause that injury. Blades did not cause that injury. Aspinall had that injury going in. Like I told you, the doctors told him this was just a matter of time. It just sucks that it happened, that it took place in the biggest moment of your career. Uh, I think in London, when you're headlining in front of your crowd, it sucks it happened when it happened, but it was going to happen either way. 
Um, and someone said, I don't like how Tom is talking about I am fighting the most dangerous guy at the worst circumstances. It's almost like a built-in excuse. I don't view it like that. I view it like he's giving Sergey Pavlovich the credit he deserves. I would be more worried if he was like, oh, you know, Sergey, I've, I've seen this style before, or I'm just going to walk through this guy. No, he knows the kind of threat that's ahead of him. I think that's humble of Tom Aspinall. I think both guys are humble. I think both are respectable warriors. I think both got bright futures, but I think Tom Aspinall is the more well-rounded guy. And I've thought for a long time that he's got, um, obviously he's got championship aspirations, but I think he's got a legitimate potential to be a UFC heavyweight champ. And I've thought that for a long time and now's the chance and I'm not backing down. Now I put my money down. So basically uh, I was asked, what is the scenario for a Pavlovich victory? The scenario is Pavlovich uh, capitalizing on Tom Aspinall exiting the pocket with his chin up in the air because that's one thing about Aspinall, similar to the two main eventers, um, Prohaska and Alex. Tom Aspinall does fight with his chin up in the air, and Sergey can crack any chin. So, yeah, Sergey can absolutely win by knockout. But Sergey is not going to win by grinding this man out. Sergey is not going to win by submission. Sergey must knock him out. Whereas I think Aspinall can knock him out. I think Aspinall can win a decision. I think Aspinall can um, take him down, grind him, submit him, whatever the case may be. Uh, Ghost Gardner said he's willing to side bet me here. All right. Yeah. Just, uh, I don't know if you're talking about uh, shoeies or money or shout outs. I don't know. Just DM me later on and we'll figure something out. But, I got Tom Aspinall to win two units, and I bet it uh, minus one fifteen, and I'll bet him against any uh, any any man on planet Earth at pick em odds. Period. Point blank. That's all I got to say. Featured bout in the strawweight division, we got Jessica Andrade. She's twenty four and twelve, taking on Mackenzie Dern, who's thirteen and three. Currently, they got it. This depends where you look. The lowest I see on Dern at the moment is minus 180. And I see from minus 180 to, to the minus twos. And the comeback on Andrade is plus 165. So I got a question for y'all. What is the most profitable betting angle of 2023? Let's hear it, y'all. Fading Jessica Andrade. Aaron Blanchfield, plus 160. My girl, future world champion, Jan Janan, plus 160. Unfortunately, Tatiana was like minus 500, so we couldn't get any action down there. But here, I know people are saying this is mush. I know people are saying this is too much chalk. I don't give a shit what people are saying. I care about what I'm saying, and what I'm saying is <laughs> the fade on Jessica Andrade is full on. It's the most profitable angle of 2023. And I think that Mackenzie Dern turned a corner in her last fight. And I got to say something else. These people that have been beating uh, Dern, I mean, Yan Zhaonan, first of all, that was a close-ass fight. I had to sweat the fuck out that Yan Zhaonan ticket against Dern. Um, <laughs> and like, and then Marina Rodriguez, Zhaonan and, excuse me, Jaunan and Marina Rodriguez, their striking acumen, their size, uh, their technical prowess on the feet, it's just night and day from Jessica Andrade. What you got to understand about Andrade is she's like a pioneer. When she first came into the UFC, 
no one had ever seen that style before where <clears throat> she kind of brought that John Lineker style to women's MMA where she'd go out there, wing big bombs. Uh, I think Bata Estaca, does that stand for pile driver in Portuguese? She'd pick you up over her head, Matt Hughes style, slam these girls. They had never dealt with physicality like that ever before. But the game has evolved and Jessica Andrade has it now. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to fully discredit her because I have noticed certain things she's added to her game. I thought she's gotten better with her calf kicks. The fact that she made it to a UFC belt, hey, all respect. I'll always love that slam KO over Rose. And I'll always be a fan of Jessica Andrade. I mean, she's one of the first women that really brought that brutality and that violence to, to women's MMA. Um, so Danilo said, how the fuck did Jessica go from putting on a masterclass against Murphy in the beginning of the year to this sad point? I'll tell you exactly how she went there. Lauren Murphy is 40 years old. She might even be older than that. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you can still put Jessica Andrade against 40-year-olds, and she's going to fucking smoke them. But when you're talking about, you know, future champs like, like Blanchfield, like Zhao Nan, like... Tatiana, according to a lot of people, Dern, who's maybe not a future champ, but who's making big improvements. Dude, these are the kind of people that are going to beat Andrage. They're going to kind of get that gatekeeping win over Andrage. Like, like she, like Andrage is the gatekeeper to that next level. She's a former champ. It's a great win to have on your resume. You beat Andrage, you get a big fight next. But let, let's, let's digress a little bit. These people that have been beating Dern, the technical prowess on the feet of Zhao Nan and Marina is just light years above uh, Jessica Andrade. And yeah, MMA math, this MMA, that. But point in case, look what Zhao Nan did to, to Jessica Andrade. Let's look at that Blanchfield fight. Blanchfield, we only remember that she choked her out. Blanchfield was getting off on straight one-twos down the pipe. And I'm telling you right now, Mackenzie Dern's been working with Jason Perillo, same boxing coach of the legendary Michael Bisbing, the legendary BJ Penn, has helped Marlon Chito Vera. Uh, make a lot of strides in his game. And you saw in that fight with Angela Hill, like, look, I know Angela Hill is a 50-50 fighter, hot and cold, you know, win some, lose some, whatnot. But usually she's a tough out. And Mackenzie Dern ran through her in a way where it was like, yo, it was like, damn, she really learned from her losses. She really took things seriously. And now she's ready to make her run. And this is the next step up the ladder. So I don't give a fuck about people saying, mush this or... Uh, you know, you can't play Dern at this price. Maybe I'm wrong, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm going to listen to myself. I'm going to trust my gut. And in my opinion, fading Jessica Andrade in 2023 is one of the most profitable angles of the year. I will continue that here. And I think that like, so people were saying that, well, if Mackenzie can't get her down, then she's just fucked on the feet. I disagree, man. I I think that when Jessica Andrade is, is winging those big looping hooks, I think that that's where Mackenzie Dern, surprisingly, can go down the pipe. And one thing about Mackenzie Dern, the technique standing has not always been the prettiest, but she's always had power. And now that the technique is starting to catch up a little bit, the power is going to translate even more. Do not be surprised if Dern drops Andrade in this fight and then jumps on a sub along the way. So I'm not sure what the method's going to be, but what I'm most likely sure of, unless the line just gets out of hand, is that I will be on Mackenzie Dern in this spot. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Matt Steamrola Frivola. He's 11-3-1, taking on Benoit Saint-Denis, who's 12-1. Currently, they got it. Matt Frivola, excuse me, 
Benoit Saint-Denis, minus 225. The comeback on Matt Frivola is plus 190. So I need to know something. Is Benoit Saint-Denis him? Is he that guy? Is he that, you know, just that physical specimen that's just going to kind of bulldoze these guys? Or is he a beneficiary of some very favorable matchups? Because I bet Eliza Zaleski in that spot, and man, that was an ass whooping of ass whoopings. You know, Nicholas Staltz, Gabriel Miranda, okay, whatever, who gives a fuck? But the Ishmael Bonfim fight, Ishmael Bonfim was a big favorite in that spot, and, bon- and Benoit Saint-Denis he kept firing that body kick, eventually got him down, choked him out in the first round. The Chiago Moises fight, I picked Moises in that fight, and man, he broke Moises. But granted, Moises has been broke before, but that was a step up in competition for Benoit. And I mean, I think they got fight of the night for a reason. So Benoit is a physical freak. The thing about Matt Frivola is we're talking about a guy in Frivola who has paid his dues, who's fought a much higher level of competition. He's had his wins. He's had his losses. He's bounced back. He knows he knows what the ups and downs are like in the UFC. And we're talking about a guy who beat Jalen Turner. Knocked out Drew. One does not simply knock out Drew Dober. And let me tell you this: if you told me before the fight that hey, Matt Frivola and Drew Dober stood and banged until one man fo- until one man fell, who do you think is the guy that fell? I would be like, oh yeah, Frivola got knocked out. This guy knocked out Drew Dober, the man with the most knockouts in UFC lightweight history, more knockouts than Dustin Poirier, by the way, uh, and knocked out Drew Dober in the first. So. That was a big step in the right direction. The Armin Sarukian fight, look, he got taken down 10 times, but y'all know exactly what that means, right? That means he got up nine times. So I think Frivola is a hustler. I think Frivola is experienced. I think Frivola is a dog. And I don't know if y'all been seeing these pictures of him recently, but uh, he might be uh, harvesting the garden of life fruits and vegetables. And this is the perfect fight to do that because one thing about Benoit Saint-Denis, it might not look the prettiest, it do, I mean, it doesn't look the prettiest. Not might not. It doesn't. But Benoit Saint-Denis is one of these juggernaut, just physical freaks. And that's what you got to be worried about. But the thing is, man, I do think there's instances where he can slow down in fights. I think that he's hittable. I think that there's a chance he can leave his neck out there for something. Um, and it's just going to take the right guy to do it. And I think, like, okay, so... Frivola has been dropped and knocked out in other fights. I hear some people putting a lot of emphasis in the fact that, hey, maybe Frivola's a bit chinny. And I hear other people saying, yeah, but that was in the past. Fuck that. You have to bring that up. You can, because the reason why is because if Frivola gets knocked out here and you bet Frivola, you got no one to blame but yourself because you saw on tape that not only has he been knocked out more than once, but he's also been dropped on more than one occasion too. So that can absolutely happen. But I think, man, I think that if Frivola can drag this into deep waters, survive, and, you know, just make this that real dogfight, which Saint-Denis does not does really well in two, I think that Frivola can get the better of it. And at plus 190, I, I think I'm willing to roll the dice. Like, let's find Show me you're that guy, Benoit, because I know people are acting like this is the new, this is like the the French, you know, Khabib or some shit like that. Okay, show me. Show me. Right, this is a big step up in competition. Frivola is 
at in his prime right now, in his peak. He's already paid his dues. He's ready to either put up or shut up. So let's see what's up. I'm going to go Matt Frivola here for the upset. Now. Kicking off the main card. We got a matchup between Pat Sabatini. He's 18 and four, taking on Diego Lopez, who is 22 and six. Currently, they got it. Pat Sabatini, minus 120. The comeback on Diego Lopez is plus 100. This is an interesting fight because Diego Lopez, man, his no gi jujitsu is absolutely insane. Like, in no-gi jiu-jitsu, no punches involved, even punches involved. Like, god damn, his no-gi jiu-jitsu is absolutely ridiculous. And I think it's been getting better over the years. And I know that some people say the the Evloy fight was a bit overhyped and people are overblowing it. Fuck that. That fight was amazing, dude. That fight was incredible. Like, I walked away from that fight thinking, like, two things. God damn, Evloev is amazing. And I cannot wait to see Evloev fight because I think Evloev can legitimately uh, challenge for a title. And then with Lopez, it's like, wow, this guy is dangerous beyond belief, bro. So this is a great fight. So here with Pat Sabatini, what's interesting about it from a style, uh, you know, from a style clash is that Sabatini is kind of one of these grinders. Sabatini is a top control neutralizer. And that's what you need here against Diego Lopez. And And let's not, you know, let's not get it twisted. Sabatini is not just a wrestler. He's a, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu too. Now, might there be levels? Like if they both just grapple in no-gi jiu-jitsu, I'm not saying Diego Lopez for sure wins, but I'm saying like I'd probably favor Diego Lopez there. But in MMA, when punches, elbows, knees, kicks, all that stuff's involved, I think that Sabatini might be able to grind this one out. Because here, here's the thing. When you bet on a guy like Diego Lopez, you know you might get an amazing submission. You know you might get some amazing scrambles. And he's got a little sneaky power on the feet too. But you also know if shit goes wrong, this is one of those bets where he's going to be lying on his back for minutes at a time. You're going to take your remote. You're going to throw it at your brand new flat screen TV. And then you're not going to get to watch the rest of the fights and you're going to lose money along the way. So it's like, you know, it's... It can either be a really beautiful win or or an excruciating loss. And, and trust me, I hate I hate losing. Uh, no matter what the case is, but certain losses hurt more than others. Like if I bet on an underdog and he fucking fights his balls off, makes it to a split decision, gives it everything he's got, and we lose, I'm not gonna be mad. You know, I'm gonna be like, you know what? I made the right bet. I'd make that again. But when you get situations like, for example, the Sodiq Yusuf fight where you almost kill the guy in round one and then you stop fighting, that's the kind of shit that pisses me off. That's the kind of shit where if I had an anger problem, I would throw one of my TVs out the window. I would throw the remote at the, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like I I would get really fucking mad. The reason I bring that up is because this is a similar situation in a different way. If Diego Lopez cannot get off on his fantastic no-gi BJJ, there's chances he might be lying on his back, you know, like a prostitute at 3 a.m. in the morning, you know, for prolonged minutes at a time. And that's the kind of shit where you're like, get up, get up, you know, (laughs) and he can't hear you, my friend. So 
yeah, this could be really frustrating or it could be really glorious. So take your pick. I'm, I'm going to go with Pat Sabatini to grind it out. I'd love to see Lopez win because when he wins fights, it's beautiful to watch. Even when he lost that Evloa fight, like some of those submission attempts, that knee bar, some of those guillotines. I think he even had an arm bar at the beginning of that fight. It's like, yo, like, and this guy's getting better and he's very experienced, guys. He's got 28 pro fights. So there's no spring chicken and he's been through the ups and downs. And, and I talk about it, you know, with a guy like for someone that's that's fighting next week, Brendan Allen, how with the style that those guys have, because if you watch some of Brendan Allen's earlier fights in his career, like like when he fought Eric Anders in, in LFA and you got grinded out, like when you have that style at the highest level, you can't just be a purple belt or a brown belt. You must be a high level black belt to make that style work. And I do think that Diego Lopez has leveled up over the years. Now he is a legitimate black belt. So I think that the chances of him making, you know, his style work have increased exponentially compared to a couple of years ago when he was whatever, a brown belt, a purple belt. And, you know, we're talking about the highest level of MMA now, right? So you have to be a high level black belt to make this particular style work. And he is that guy. The only issue is Sabatini is a... (laughs) is a grinding wrestler with a black belt too and he's got the neutralizing capabilities to win this fight so i'm leaning sabatini i hope diego wins because i like watching him fight more but i don't have money on the line um but gut instinct says pat but gut instinct schmutch instinct i mean gut instinct doesn't mean i'm right you know what i'm saying but i'll go past sabatini to grind out a decision here all right, main event of the prelims in the flyweight division. Y'all do me a huge favor. This is episode 500 of Half the Battle. I want 500 likes, and I want 500 new subscribes, and I want 500 comments. Pretty please appreciate it. Much love to you all. So main event of the prelims, Steve Erzeg. He's 10-1, and one, taking on Alessandro Costa, who's 13-3. and three. They're flyweights. And currently, they got it. Listen to this, y'all. Steve Erseg, minus 200. The comeback on Alessandro Costa is plus 165. So the reason I uh, my, my voice raised a little bit when I said minus 200 is because a couple of days ago, he was minus 125. Minus 125 and minus 200 are two completely different things, right? If you got in at the minus 125, the minus 135, hell, minus 150, you did win, lose, or draw. You did your job. You beat a line move by that much long term, and you will be on the right side of the coin. And on certain books, like like some some of those real underground books, if you consistently beat the line by that much on, on money line straight bets, even if you're losing, they might kick you out because they know eventually you beating the market by that much, you're going to be on the right side of the coin long term. So you could lose three weeks in a row, but then you're going to go on your run. So I'm just saying, um, if you're one of those cats that got in, and I'm not talking about some fucking, you know, $10 limit bullshit and you want to fucking act like you put five units on it. I'm talking about like, if you got some real action down minus 125 to minus 150, you did your job, sit back and enjoy the show. And if you want to take plus 165 on Costa and, and guarantee yourself a profit, but let's break this down. Urseg is a very intelligent fighter. People are saying that he's kind of bigger for the division. I, I disagree with that. I think he's a little taller than some guys he's gonna be taller than this opponent but i think like body wise i think he's a little bit like kind of on the goofier side he's kind of like a nerdy guy but in in being that nerdy guy 
The guy is very intelligent, comes out with the right game plans. He knows about um, the way that the sport is evolving with the calf kicks, with, you know, certain leg locks, with certain scrambles. Like he's, he's got a well put together MMA game, but I do fear down the line that some of these guys, like, like a Manel cap, for example, or um, in Amir Albazi or like say maybe even a Cody dirt and like, some guys are just going to be a bit too physical for um for Ursac down the line but right now as he's fighting kind of lower tier opponents he's going to be able to show off his intelligence and his well-rounded style and he's got some nice scrambles and with Alessandro Costa look he's going to be the shorter man here but, but he's fucking cocked okay and he trains with good people like our boy Diego Lopez we were talking about earlier my only issue with, with Alessandro Costa, <laughs> someone said Steve Ursek Carell. That's funny as hell. Uh, shout out Steve Carell. Fucking hilarious. I love the 40-year-old virgin and some of his other uh, movies as well. Um, that scene where he gets his chest waxed is fucking epic, bro. I ain't never, I ain't never waxing my chest, man. Hell no, nah, dog. But uh, Costa is physical. He's patient. My only issue is with that patience, um, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, but like sometimes he's too patient where the volume's a bit on the lower side. That's where I think that Steve Ursek can get the points going a bit. Where I have a question is about the takedowns. Is 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 uh Ursek gonna be able to get off on a takedown game here? I'm very curious about that to be to be frank with you, because I think that certain parts of this fight can be close. I do think that Ursek, he's kind of got these little sneaky tactics to kind of get him ahead on the scorecards. Like I said, he's an intelligent guy. He's a thinking man's fighter. Like you have to be a thinking man's fighter. Cause okay. For example, let's talk about polar opposites. Let's compare Steve Ursek to Vitor Petrino. I know they're in separate weight classes, put the weights weight class aside and let's talk about this in pound for pound terms. Right? <laughs> so like, let's pretend they're in the same weight class. Vitor Petrino can get away with a lot of stuff because of his God-given gifts, his talents, his abilities. Like, just like Yoel Romero, just like Paulo Costa, they can get away with stuff that other people can't because they're gifted. Whereas Ursa, not so much gifted. He has to use his brain a lot more. And when I say that, that's not taken away from Vitor Petrino because I do think that Vitor Petrino actually like for a meathead i do think that he's uh got some intelligent stuff in there and i love how he's been fighting you know for a guy with a physique like that he manages his gas tank really well but what i'm trying to say is he can get away with things that ursig can't get away with ursig has to be on point he's just not a physically imposing guy but he's an intelligent guy and i think his intelligence should get him through this one but at the current odds, like I told you at the beginning of this breakdown, it's no longer minus 125. We're talking minus 200 now. So I think at these odds, it's a dog or pass situation. But as a pure pick, I'm going to go with Steve Ursek here. Joe said, watch his back take in his last fight. Slick as fuck. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, the guy's got some good techniques. He has to have good techniques because he's not, you know, some physical specimen. He's not... You know, he's not, he, ain't, he ain't taking that secret juice. You know what I'm saying? Next up in the in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Tabitha Ricci. She's nine and one, taking on Lupita Godinez, who's eleven and three. And currently, they got it. Uh, Lupita Godinez minus one seventy five. The comeback on Tabitha is plus one fifty. So another one where 
Um, there were times, wasn't it like minus 135 for uh loopy at one point? Now it's minus 175. So we're talking about two different scenarios completely here. But what's interesting about this fight is loopy is a hot and cold fighter. Sometimes loopy will impress the hell out of me, and sometimes loopy will lay an absolute egg. Let me tell you exactly what I mean by that. Let me pull up uh, the numbers. So Lupi Godinez, like, you know, her fight with Luana Carolina, three-round fight, only lands 23 significant strikes and goes two for 15 on takedowns. It's like, what the hell am I watching? That Jessica Panay fight, got her back taken too many times. Angela Hill gave her a vet lesson. Even that Cynthia Calvillo fight, I thought, uh, that Lupi should have been a lot more dominant in that fight. But then you look at her Emily Ducote fight where she put up 132 significant strikes. You look at the way she just ran through Elise Reed, like from time to time. You look at what she did to Ariane Carnalosi, uh, like quadrupled her up on strikes and landed eight takedowns in the process. Like sometimes Lupi impresses the hell out of me. She she's capable of having big volume of the on the feet. She's got that wrestling background. She trains with the right people, but sometimes she doesn't quite show up on fight night. And I know sometimes that sounds like I'm discrediting the opponent, but I'm not. I really do think it's mental. And she's at the top of her game. I think she can be a top 15 fighter with Tabitha Ricci. It's interesting, but she's got that jujitsu background. She's a she's a black belt in jujitsu. Um, she has been getting a lot better on the feet. You know, that last fight against um jillian robertson she had the perfect game plan for her and i just feel like in a lot of these fights i like the fact that check this out ever since her loss five takedowns in that fight against maria Oliveira, five takedowns against pollyanna vienna four takedowns against jessica Panay, three takedowns against jillian robertson and avoided anything that jillian brought to the table and like jillian can grapple jillian someone that in pure jujitsu submitted rose nama Yunus. so um Tabitha came in there with the perfect game plan. So here's the thing. It's can I trust Lupi Godinez to come out here and fight smart? Because there is a game plan to beat this girl. The game plan to beat this girl, the blueprint, might I say, is you double her up on strikes. When you do take her down, you neutralize her. You don't try to get into crazy scrambles. You don't try to go submission for submission with Tabitha Ricci. You just try to neutralize her, kill clock try to wear her out a little bit and try to win this decision. And I think if Loopy is on top of her game, if she wants to show up for this one, she's going to get it done. But if this is, you know, another mental lapse, like she's had more than once, and this is one of her letdown spots, then Richie's absolutely live. It's just, what, what can we expect? So since I don't know, and since the lion's gotten out of here, uh, I'm good on passing. I'll pick Loopy because I think at their best Loopy wins this fight, but, is Loopy coming in here at her best or is she going to lay an egg again? But based on the trend she's been you know, heading in, maybe it was a case where she had to get those ups and downs. Maybe it was a case where she had to pay her dues and now she's ready to make that run. Hopefully that's the case if you're backing her. I'm going to pick Loopy here, but you know, proceed with caution at the current odds. Now, Next up in the in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Mateusz Rambetsky. He's 18 and 1, taking on Roosevelt Roberts, who's 12 and 3. Currently, they got it. Mateusz Rambetsky minus 650. The comeback on Roosevelt Roberts is plus 475. So Rambetsky definitely has to be one of the front runners for uh rookie of the year, right up there with with 
Elvis Brenner, with Vitor Petrino. You know, this guy's had a hell of a year, and I think he's got a bright future in the UFC. He's short, he's stocky, he's explosive, he's powerful, and he can win a fight anywhere. Big hooks on the feet, big leg kicks. He can slam guys. He can submit them. He can ground and pound TKO them. He had vast experience outside the UFC. I like everything about him. It's funny. The big criticism people had for him was that fight where he like 30, 24, the kid, but he gassed out from whooping the guy's ass. Like when you beat a grown man's ass so bad that you're getting tired from beating his ass and it's a 30, 24, and that's what people want to want to criticize. Um, you know, I guess that's a good problem to have if you're uh, Rambetsky. And with Roosevelt, I got to give Roosevelt a lot of credit. He got cut from the UFC. He did exactly what he had to do to get back, right? He got a 32-second knockout on the regional scene. He had that, excuse me, that eight-second knockout on, on the Ultimate Fighter. He had that very close fight with Austin Hubbard that realistically could have gone either way. So it seems like he's matured. Um, the only issue is I just think he's running into a buzzsaw right now, man. But he does have a path to victory. Look, there's going to be a big size difference in terms of height, not in terms of like mass, but in terms of height. You know, it's a uh, 5'7 versus 6'2. It's a 73-inch uh, reach versus a 66-inch reach. So, you know, when you have a 7-inch reach advantage and that big of a height advantage, there's certain things. I mean, Rambetsky, like when he's shooting for these takedowns, you already know that Roosevelt Roberts is probably going to have a long man choke waiting for him. So Rambetsky's got to be aware. Also, when he's, when he's standing on the outside, you know, you might think you're safe at certain angles, but a seven-inch reach advantage, you might be hanging back, and this guy throws his jab halfway across the room, and he lands at the tip of your nose. So it's one of those things where, yes, I am going with the big favorite here, but he can't just, you know, smoke a cigar on the walkout and, you know, think that the fight, you know, pull a Melvin Gillard where he's got his sunglasses on and he's dancing like he already won the fight during the walkout, like like he did against Joe Lowe's on a UFC 136. Like, Rambesi's got to come in here with his head on straight. And if he does that, I think he's going to look dominant in this fight. Now, also in the lightweight division, we got a match between Nazim Sadikov. He's 9-1, and one, taking on Vyacheslav uh, Barshov, who's 7-3, Slava Claus. And currently, they got it. Nazim Sadikov, minus 125. The comeback on Slava Claus is plus 105. So a lot of action's been coming in on Slava. So Slava reminds me, or... Doesn't remind me, but the game plan to beat Slava reminds me of the game plan to beat Anthony Pettis back when he was in the UFC. I remember Eddie Alvarez's famous quote. If you're a top 10 fighter in the UFC and you haven't figured out how to beat Anthony Pettis yet, then there's an issue. And what Eddie Alvarez meant by that was we all know the big weakness in this guy's game is you go out there and you take this man down. And with Vyacheslav Barshov, you know, with the Anthony Pettis comparison, obviously they fight differently on the feet. You know, Barshov more of, man, he rips to the body nicely, way better hands than Pettis. Pettis more of a, you know, flashy kick kind of guy. And then on their backs, Pettis is going to be attacking for triangles and throwing up submissions before he eventually gets grinded out. Whereas I know Barshov's been putting in work. I know he's at alpha male. I know he's been working on his wrestling, but make no mistake about it. Even though it's improved, 
it's still a big weakness in his game and he can absolutely be grinded out again. So basically to me, this fight comes down to does Nazim Sadikov understand the assignment? Because think about this. When I bet on Nazim Sadikov against Terrence McKinney, he understood the assignment and the assignment was if you get me past round one with Terrence McKinney, you will win this fight. And that's exactly what happened. So he understood the assignment with McKinney. Does he understand the assignment with, uh, with Slava Claus? And the assignment is take this motherfucker down. Like, I'm not saying he can't have success standing. I'm just saying why even give this guy a chance to win when there's been a proven blueprint time and time again on how to beat Vyacheslav Barshov, Slava Claus, which is you go out there, you hump this man's leg, who gives a shit if the crowd's booing, and, you know, try to get it to the point where he's got to take plan B the next morning, you know? And if Nazim doesn't fight like a meathead and does exactly what he's supposed to do here, um, then I think he's going to win this fight. It's just about... You know, when he comes out here and doesn't shoot once and decides to stand and bang with Barshov and goes down to a body shot, he's got no one to blame but himself. But if he understands the assignment here, he could look like a pretty big favorite. Just a big if. So do you trust this, you know, kind of inexperienced meathead to 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 understand the assignment? Like I said, he understood it against Terrence. Hopefully he understands it here, too. Now, next up, also in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Jared Gordon. He's 19 and 6, taking on Mark Madsen, who's 12 and 1. Wasn't it Mark O. Madsen at one point? Currently, they got it. Jared Gordon at minus 180. The comeback on Mark O. Madsen is plus 155. Let me say this. Um, <laughs> so you know how we were talking about how like you know, certain bets that you lose, like, like you know, you bet on an underdog and they fought their fucking balls off, but it didn't go their way. You should not feel bad about losing that bet. Make that bet 100 more times. But the kind of bets that you feel like, you know, feel like the biggest piece of shit that anyone's ever seen, it's like, you know, like I was talking about the Sodik used to fight where you almost kill the guy and then you stop fighting. Or when I bet on Mark Madsen against Grant Dawson, and shout out to my boy Bobby Green, you know, for exposing that fraud, uh, Dawson, and cashing me the biggest dog bet of 2023 at plus 390 odds. Much love, Bobby King Green, true king right there. But the reason I bring this up is because Marco Madsen. So I cashed on him against Vince Pichel. He did his thing, but he pissed me off so much in the Grand Dawson fight. And again, it's not about winning or losing. Like you fight your balls off and you lose, hey, we take it on the chin, no problem. But when you drop a man five seconds into a fight and two seconds later you get your back taken, and to take it a step further, you're allegedly this Olympic silver medalist, like, dude, listen to me. I understand there's different styles of wrestling. He's a Greco-Roman guy. That's not freestyle. That's not this. Okay, I get it. I don't give a shit. You'd think that. A silver medalist wrestling of any kind would have been able to stuff at least some of these ugly-ass takedowns that Grant Dawson was going for. And it was literally to the point where I think Madsen should return his medals, bro. This guy is not an Olympic medalist. Are you fucking kidding me right now? After that performance, that was embarrassing. And I would not 
be surprised to see Jared Gordon come out here and grind this out. Uh, the producer said Grant does that to everyone, though. Yeah, but 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 take this into consideration. Like when Grant fought Jared Gordon, right? Like Jared Gordon was able to reverse some positions. Jared Gordon was able to, you know, get uh, Grant Dawson down on his back. Like a lot of these guys have had success in fights versus Dawson. And for a silver medalist Olympian to not be able to stuff basic takedowns, and and you drop the guy five seconds prior and then you get your back taken. I will never bet on Mark Madsen ever again, ever. Like he is dead to me completely. So, you know, the thing is, do I trust Jared Gordon at minus 180? The way I describe Jared Gordon is he's kind of like a poor man's Bilal Muhammad. He's just Basically, he's a well-rounded fighter. Like, if you start to slow down on Jared Gordon, he can push that pace on you. Not really going to finish too many guys, but, like, you have to be on your game against him because he's he's decent everywhere. He's not amazing anywhere, but he's decent everywhere. And he can, you know, if there's a part of your game that might be a little suspect, he will exploit it. And he has been through the ups and downs. He has paid his dues. And Madsen... I try not to get carried away by one result because Madsen did cash for me against uh against Vince Pichel. I picked him against Guida too. Like, but I think isn't he like 41 now? And like I said, dude, when you're an Olympic silver medalist wrestler and you drop your opponent and then they're easily taking you down two seconds later, like you ain't no silver medalist Olympic. Like, like when I think of like like real olympic wrestlers i think of cejudo i think of daniel cormier and i just cannot put mark Matson in the same category as those guys even bo nickel he's not olympian or anything but like bo nickel's wrestling mark Matson's wrestling it's uh it's night and day man like so yeah uh i got jared gordon to be a decision here now Next up, in we have an 138 pound catchweight bout between Kyung Ho Kang, Mr. Perfect. He's 19 and nine, taking on John Castaneda, the sexy Mexi, who's 20 and six. Currently, they got it. John Castaneda minus 140. The comeback on Kyung Ho Kang is plus 120. So, um, producer said Grant missed weight in that fight. Uh, I'm not saying that's why Mark lost, but taking it into consideration. Yeah, I remember that because Mark Madsen, like, then he starts doing all these interviews the night of the fight, crying about how this guy missed weight. And, like, dude, like, be, like, so what if he fucking missed weight, man? Like, you're a silver medalist Olympian. You can't stuff basic takedowns. Like, I, I don't give a shit if he missed weight, you know? Um, but anyways, I can go on because that really pissed me off. That, that was disgusting because you hear the guy talking about how oh i've had thousands of wrestling matches and, and this and that and, and then you're getting taken down by those kind of takedowns yeah so the reason that this is at a catchway is because john castaneda requested it to be a catchway i don't know the reasons i don't know i mean i'm guessing it's a weight management thing but john castaneda requested this catchway bottom line and uh, I'll be honest with y'all, I've never been high on Castaneda. Like, I respect him. I think he's functional. It's just too low volume for me. Not enough urgency for me. Um, 
also think he can slow down badly. And I think if you pressure him and put it on him, he breaks in fights. Uh, that Daniel Santos plus 175 I cashed against him. Was that this year or last year? That was last year, right? Yeah, that was last year. That was one of my best bets of uh, of last year. And then I also bet Mu and Gafarov against them too at Dog Money, and it was close. That second round, man, we we were close. We were close. And that was like Gafarov taking it on like two days' notice. Listen, Kyung Ho Kang, here's my thing. I think he can absolutely win this fight, and he's the underdog here. I'm going to pick him here. It's just my issue is when I bet Kyung Ho Kang here and he loses a split decision, I'm going to be really fucking pissed off. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, unless you just control this man like Ronnie Yaya did, um, usually his fights are super, super close, man. And this is a guy been in the UFC a long, long time. Um, he's only been finished twice in his career, and the last time that happened was, like, 2011. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So... This is uh I love I love me some Mr. Perfect. And I think if he can put the pressure on him, keep the fight upright, I think he's got a great chance for the upset here. So I'm gonna go with Mr. Perfect uh Kyung Ho Kang to get this one done. Two more fights left on the car. We gotta talk about Josh Van versus Kevin Borjas, and we gotta talk about Jamal Emmers versus Dennis Bazuksha. Uh y'all, y'all do me a huge favor. This is episode 500 of half the battle. I want 500 likes. I want uh, 500 comments and I want $500,000. No, I'm just kidding. 500 likes, 500 comments. And you'll make me a very happy man. Appreciate y'all very much. And if you feel so inclined to share, please share next up in the flyweight division. We got a matchup between Joshua van. He's eight and one taking on Kevin Borjas. Who's nine and one. Currently, they got it. Josh Van, minus 220. The comeback on Kevin Borjas is plus 185. I love both these guys a lot. Uh, I have a bet on this fight, and that bet is on Kevin Borjas at plus 200. So, and that's not a, a slight on Josh Van or anything like that. I, I think Josh Van is great. It was more so that I just think this fight should, um, should be lined a little bit closer. So, Josh Van... Kind of reminds me of like a flyweight, like Ray Cooper slash an orthodox stance, Robbie Lawler type style, like amazing sprawl and brawl game by Josh Van. Only 21 years old. I think he's got a bright future in the sport, and I'm a big fan. And with Kevin Borjas, he's one of these emerging Peruvian fighters. I don't know if y'all remember, but back in the day, Peru was a laughing stock for MMA, and now. They are producing some fighters, man. I mean, Kevin Borjas, uh, Jesus Pinedo's been doing his thing in PFL. Back in the day, you had Enrique Barzola, and I know there's some more that I'm forgetting about, um, but Peru's on the up, my boy, and um, I really got a lot out of that Kevin Borjas fight against Victor Diaz on Contender Series because Victor Diaz is a guy that, um, so he trains at ATT and some of my buddies at ATT, they told me about the sparrings and grappling sessions with Victor Diaz. And let's just put it this way. Victor Diaz is a guy that's out there, like not just having success against like real UFC guys, but like submitting and manhandling real UFC guys in the gym and was looking like, I mean, in that fight, he was a minus four ten favorite like he was supposed to go out there and run through him and this guy i still think that he's got 
a bright future in the UFC, Victor Diaz. So y'all got to look out for him. But Kevin Boras came out there, man, looked super improved from his regional scene. Every time he got taken down, he got back up. And the thing is, when you're not used to fighting guys like Victor Diaz, who are relentless with the takedowns, who are so physically strong, who are on all the Flintstone vitamins known to man, normally you get up from a couple of those takedowns, you're like, fuck, man, like I got to keep stuffing. And like this kid kept his poker face. And every time he got back up, his shots in the pocket, boy. I mean, the way he rips to the body, the way he goes upstairs, that forward pressure, that dog, he got that dog in him. The x-rays came back and, and it was confirmed he's got that dog in him. He didn't have to check in the mirror to see if he still got that dog in him. The results came back and uh, it's been proven he's got that dog in him. And even though I can't for sure say what's going to happen, I just see it being a competitive brawl where both guys are getting after it. And, you know, at, at some point, you know, there's going to be a turning point. I don't know if it's going to be due to a body shot. I don't know if it's going to be due to someone getting dropped, but I don't really see these guys going for too many takedowns unless they just get so hurt that it's, it's a instinctual shot or something like that. But what I really see is just chaos. And I can get, I, I can get why you'd line van the favorite is just that, when you're giving me plus 200 on a fight that I think is going to be an honest dog fight, tooth and nail. Like this is one of those fights where if I lose a split decision here, but Kevin Borjas fought his balls off. Hey, no big deal. No harm, no foul. Like no big deal. Like I'll make that bet again. It, it's not the same situation as betting on Mark Madsen. You drop your opponent, and two seconds later, you get your back taken. You know, that's the shit where you throw your fucking remote at the TV or the Sodique fight. I love Sodique, but you almost kill a guy and then you stop fighting. You know, those are the scenarios where you get mad at losing a bet. But I'm telling you right now, if Borjas at plus 200, you get me to a split decision or, you know, just a competitive ass fight where you fought your fucking balls off and you gave it everything you had. I'm cool with whatever happens. So I love both these guys. I think they both got bright futures. I'm going to go with the plus 200 dog in this spot, and uh, let's see what happens. Now, last but not least, in the featherweight division, we got Jamal Emers. He's 19-7, and seven, taking on Dennis Bazooka, who's 11-3. and three. Currently, they got Jamal Emers minus 260. The comeback on Dennis Bazooka is plus 220. So I think Jamal Emers is another one of these talented flakes. I mean, can you tell me the weakness in uh, Jamal Emmer's game? I mean, besides mentally, I mean, I think that striking is on point. I've seen fantastic volume. Wrestling is on point. I've seen fantastic scrambles. Um, experience is on point. Size is on point. There's a lot to like about Jamal Emmer's. The issue is from time to time, this man will shit the bed. Whether we're talking about back on his contender series fight against Julian Arosa, easily wins the first round, then he gets head kicked, knocked out. Whether we're talking about the Pat Sabatini fight where people talk about how they were playing footsies and they were, but let me explain a little bit more in depth what happened. So Pat Sabatini is going for a heel hook, right? And instead of defending the heel hook, you know, maybe, you know, get both the hands on, on the wrist, maybe try to triangle the legs, whatever the case may be. You know what this dude Jamal Emers does? He tries to attack a toehold while he's getting heel hooked. 
I'm like, oh my God, Jamal. And then that last fight against Jenkins, you know, people all bet all bet Jamal at uh big chalk. So they just, you know, I feel like I take a lot more accountability than a lot of other people when, when I lose bets. Other people are like, oh, I, I was on the value side when like you bet a fucking minus 250 in a split decision type fight. No, you were not on the value side and you did not get robbed either because round one and round two were 50-50. Round three was clear Jamal Emers, but round one and round two could have gone either way. And you're not going to convince me any differently. And I didn't have money on that fight. So I'm not biased. Okay. Uh, so all I'm trying to say here is that Jamal Emers, he's when he's on his game, it can look beautiful. It can look pretty and he can absolutely outclass Dennis Bazookia. But let me say this. Dennis, that last fight against Sean Woodson, he took it on like a couple days notice and he 100% got his ass whooped, but he took his ass whooping like a man. Like he, he didn't look for a way out. Like, like he took, he took it like a man, you know what I'm saying? So you got to respect that quality. And I assume with a full camp, he's going to come out at his best, but at his best, he's just an average fighter. He's just solid everywhere. No big weakness, no big strengths, just, just solid everywhere. The fight goes nothing special. So Jamal should win this fight. It's just, you know, when Jamal fights way too close for your liking, when Jamal does something really stupid and you laid minus 260 to minus 300 on him, you got no one to blame but yourself when Dennis uh, squeaks out a split decision in his hometown. That's all I got to say regarding that. So, yeah, I understand picking Jamal. I think at their best, Jamal is the better fighter here, but he is prone to pulling stunts, to making bonehead moves, and to dropping the ball. And Dennis's back is up against the wall. He needs this win desperately. So y'all that got in on that, like, plus, what was it, like, plus 260 or 250, I think y'all were onto something. And there's a chance y'all might be onto something here because I am not laying no minus 260 on Jamal Emmers. If I'm laying minus 260 on Jamal Emmers, I need, um, you know, I need to know that this is going to be a first round knockout. I need to know this is going to be a 30 26. I need to know that he's going to own him in a way where it makes it look like Dennis doesn't even belong in there with him. That's what minus 260 implies. And are y'all going to be surprised if this is a, a split decision type fight where Jamal is clearly better, but he's just, for whatever reason, he's not pulling the trigger? Or like, remember the Chaz Kelly fight where Chaz walked out to the octagon and then Jamal, like, didn't make the walk, back spasms, panic attacks, whatever you want to call it. Like if, if it's a one-time thing, okay, but we're looking at a boy who cried wolf situation. When when all these things happen time after time after time, at what point do you stop giving this guy a pass? That's all I got to say. But I know how good Jamal can be on his best day. That's what makes it so intriguing. So the pick is Jamal because at his best, I think he wins this. But is he going to drop the ball? Is he going to pull a stunt? It's not going to surprise me. So, yeah. Don't be surprised. I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. Before I do that, give me 500 likes for episode 500 to half the battle. Give me 500 comments for episode 500 of half the battle. And if you really want to want to make me feel good, give me 500 shares for the 500th episode of half the battle. Much love to y'all. So the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. Now, besides Yuri Prohaska and Alex Pereira and Sergey Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall because clearly those are the fights to watch. But for some of y'all that want something else to look out for, <laughs> I mean, I think the fight to watch 
besides, you know, Frivola and Santini, dude, Josh Van versus Kevin Borjas. I am telling you right now, if you've never heard of these guys or if you know exactly who the who they are, you're talking about two guys from small countries that want to make a statement, that want to make a name for themselves, that are hungry flyweights, that are coming in here and they don't want to, you know, put their head between a grown man's legs and, you know, make sure that Mick and Sean never want to see them fight again. These two want to go out there and they want to draw a line in the sand. They want to bring out the ruler. They want to have that measuring contest and they want to see who, uh, you know, who's going to fall. And for that reason, Josh Van versus Kevin Borhaus is my fight to watch. I guarantee y'all, y'all going to MSG in New York. You better show up early because these two little guys are going to throw down. So for that reason, Joshua Van versus Kevin Borhaus is my fight to watch. My fighter to watch. Let's go with Mackenzie Dern. Listen. Fading Andrash has been the most profitable betting angle of 2023. Mackenzie Dern has big momentum coming off that Angela Hill fight where she did not just win. She she did some things to Angela Hill that we thought she'd never recover from. And then Angela Hill, excuse me, looked not bad her last fight. So shows that Mackenzie's leveling up. And I think Andrash is on her way out. Um, And... I think that this is statement-making time for Mackenzie Dern here. So, you know, we've wanted her to make statements since her debut. She's had her up. She's had her down. She's paid her dues. And now I think she's ready to come out here, beat a former UFC champ, get the biggest win of her career. And for that reason, uh, she's uh, my fighter to watch. So now I'm down to answer a couple fan questions, hang out with y'all for a couple minutes, and then I'm going to get out of here. So Chosen said, I'm genuinely curious what makes you think Sodiq just quit fighting. He emptied the tank in round one previously um shown to slow down in later rounds well first of all um in round three against arnold allen he won after getting dropped in the first two rounds in the mike davis fight in round three he was throwing heavy too um in the feely fight he won round three so he's won multiple late rounds he's won tons of decisions what i heard james vick who's my friend and sodique's friend told me that sodique broke his hand in the first round that made him kind of hesitant So whether it's that or whether it's what you're referring to in terms of emptying the tank, Vic said it wasn't emptying the tank because Vic said that um, Sodique is in amazing shape. I have my own theories about it. I think it might be a combination of adrenaline dump of almost killing a man mixed with a broken hand mixed with, oh my God, this guy's still here. Like, so I, I don't, only Sodiq knows what truly happened. But what I know as someone who backed Sodiq bigly in that spot, uh, I was very pissed off. And I still love Sodiq. Um, it, it, I think the reason I'm so pissed off is because I have such high expectations for Sodiq. I think that he can go far. I really think that he's a guy that has that, you know, top five potential, potentially five for a title. And that was his chance to shine. And he really dropped the ball. I mean, the way he looked in round one looked like the best fighter in the world. And then after that, it was just such a letdown. So yeah, it, it, it was really frustrating. Um, but I'm not going to talk bad about him. Like I will about Madsen. Cause what Madsen did, you're a fucking Olympic silver medalist wrestler. You drop a guy and two seconds later, you're getting taken down by these sloppy ass takedowns. Like bro, that that I will net like I'll bet on Sodique in another fight. I will never bet Mark Madsen ever again. 
thank you guys for all the congrats on the 500. I'm going to scroll up to the top, see if y'all got any questions for me. Y'all feel free to leave me some questions in the comments. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll see uh, what y'all got to say. Uh, Spicola's boost said Aspinall just admitted he isn't ready to fight. Uh, um, I would have to hear exactly what he said. I think that sometimes guys talk a certain way. Um, I think he's got a certain humility about him. I think he respects Pavlovich as he should. And uh, I don't think he would have taken this if he wasn't ready to fight. Let's just leave it at that. Um, Abu Dhabi need to know if Pat Sabatini is being discounted here. He is if he can avoid getting submitted. Uh, Joe asked, because he finessed back on the block. Hey, shout out to my boy, Finesse the Books. He did a great job uh, last week, and I'll definitely have him back. MMA Gurley in the house. What's up, MMA Gurley? Good to see you here. Thank you very much. Um, my boy, Ben, likes the shirt. I appreciate it. I like the shirt, too. Thank you very much. Um, congratulations, Dan. Consistently great show. Thank you, my man. I appreciate that. Planet Whisper says, it's an honor to be here for this. You are a legend and a cornerstone a cornerstone of this niche. Thanks, man. Well, hopefully I can be a legend with millions of viewers, man. But I do appreciate the grassroots following that y'all have given me, man. It's fucking amazing. And I love you guys. Holloway MMA said, Kubida Junam, let's go. You know, you know, you know, I got my Persian cuisine on the other night. You know, you know what I'm saying? Ate my chicken bark. Um, okay. Um, let me see what else y'all got for me. Joseph, Dan the man, how are you, brother? Thanks for all you do. I appreciate that, uh, Joseph. I hope you're doing well, too. Dixon said, where's that mustard jacket you was rocking yesterday? Hey, you like it, right? That shit goes hard. Don't worry, I'm going to be rocking it soon. I'm going to be posting some pictures. But, hey, today's a new day, so we got to have a new fresh fit for today. Jimmy the Drunk said, Ankali, future champ in PFL. Yeah, I would not be surprised. Would you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um daddy testiculus said shirt is dope appreciate that bro eq agrees with me jiri versus poatan is such an interesting matchup such an interesting matchup it's an incredible matchup man i love this matchup um matt says shouldn't there be extra value on poatan due to the worst shoulder injury in ufc history and alex has been active <sighs> yeah but we don't really know talk is cheap like did he really have the worst shoulder injury or and also how was his recovery he was probably with the best doctors in the world we just don't know what to expect. Uh, does that automatically mean he's going to be a diminished version? And Alex has been active, but Alex also got knocked the fuck out badly by Israel. And then um, his fight with Jan wasn't the most inspiring. And I bet on Alex in that spot. Maybe he needed that to get a little bit more comfortable. He was coming off a bad KO loss, and now we can expect the best version of him. But either way, um, it, it's just, we just have to tune in to see, man. We just have to tune in, bro. Um, man, y'all got a lot for me, so I really do appreciate it. Uh, I'm gonna try my best to get to everything. <laughs> JD said, "Bro, you need timestamps." Good joke, good joke. Um, uh, Uncle uh, Scoop said, "Any man, even Bonds and Francis, even Bones and Francis." Bones, yeah, I'll tell you what, dude, listen to me. Listen to me. Y'all, I know that sounds crazy. I know that sounds insane, but y'all got to hear me out. Johnny Bones, his last few fights, zoom out. His last few fights have been getting closer and closer and closer. He did run through Gan, but we have suspicions that Gan 
shat the bed that night and was blinded by the lights. And to take it a step further, Aspinall is a black belt in jujitsu. We know there's a gaping hole in Cyril Gan's ground game. So I just think it's a different matchup, my boy. Um, EQ says the only fans fade has been extremely profitable this year. That, yeah, that's what I hear. Um, let me know if you if you know the actual numbers, send them to me. I'd love to. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to take a look. Um, MMA Gurley says Benoit Saint Denis is him. Hey, if he's him, then God bless him, man. I just need to see it a little, a little bit more. I need to see it a little bit more before I'm fully sold. Um. see um way, congrats dan you've been doing this consistently for a long time respect to you as always thank you bro appreciate you fam um yeah 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 uh i answered that about would i take him over bones yes uh, uh chosen says i'm genuinely oh i already answered that regarding sadiq um <laughs> ghost gardener said half the battle wouldn't have lasted 500 episodes of your laying chalk ember bets that's fucking hilarious uh dixon's predicting a bazooka greasy home split uh, would not surprise me bro would not fucking surprise me my boy finesse the books in the house hit the like button fam i want 500 of y'all to hit that baby uh danilo says peru and argentina have very interesting prospects i agree I agree. It's I love seeing how uh, the sports evolving and just spreading everywhere. And there's up and coming talent. It's great to see. Dixon said, "Dan, why did Castaneda request this to be a catch weight?" I don't know, but what I do know is he's had weight issues in the past, and he's been sick in fights in the past. So I'm guessing, educated guess, he uh, you know something along those lines dixon also said gordon is 14 and 1 in decisions should be 15 you know because you you know got rob versus patty according to a lot of people uh so yeah anyways guys thank you all so much for checking out this special episode 500 of half the battle really really appreciate it thank y'all love y'all uh please support the channel by hitting the subscribe button i want 500 subscribes i want 500 likes and i want 500 comments for episode 500 thank you all so much i'll be back asap i hope you all enjoy the fights um and thank you for the support whether like i said from day one somewhere along the way or more recently shout out to y'all uh, shout out to the co-hosts i've had in the past sean carey shack thank you guys you guys did a great job and to all the guests i've had along the way too and most importantly to the fans the supporters my friends i love y'all Thank you guys very much. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.